Hello and welcome. You found us. We are Sip Sip Hooray, the podcast that aims to make wine tasty, fun, and approachable. I am Mary Babbitt. And I'm Mary Orlin, and we are super excited today to have um, a fabulous up-and-coming winemaker from the Santa Cruz Mountains. Now, our guest, Ryan Alfaro, is part of Alfaro Family Vineyards, and they've been around for several years um, in the Santa Cruz Mountains in the little town of Coralitos, which is in the southern part of the Appalachian. But we're going to get to know Ryan and um, have some fun today. Yeah. So, Ryan, welcome. Thanks for joining us. And we're super happy to have you here today. Why don't we start out by having you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know that something I'm super interested in is the fact that you went to the University of Auckland in New Zealand. Uh, Yes, that's correct. Well, thank you for having me. Um, Like Mary said, I am Ryan Alfaro. And technically, I am second generation winemaker here at Alfaro Family Vineyards, although my Father and mother are still very active and uh, involved in the winery and business side of it as a whole. Uh, yeah, so I, I did go to University of Auckland. Is that where you would like me to start? <laughs> you get to start wherever you want. Oh, you know, exactly. It's way, way back. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, I grew up on the vineyard, which I think is a is a pretty important thing, place to start. And you know, my, I was a victim of child labor laws through my parents picking and uh, bottling wine at a young age, starting around 12 or 13 when I could actually pick up a bottle. Um, you know, I was in and out of the cellar helping my father doing that, but it wasn't till about 19 years old when I was really, you know, involved and, and got to start understanding wine a little more. Uh, my parents were pretty strict uh, at, about the underage drinking laws and they didn't really like me drinking, but at 19, when I showed a little more interest in wine, they started sharing their cellar with me, and they, they do have quite an impressive cellar, so that started to open my eyes to, you know, how wine is different all along the world, all among the world and in geographical areas, and how that's a huge part of the wine industry, so just at 19 is when I really was able to dive deep into uh, learning about the sensory aspect of wine. Was wine the reason you chose New Zealand for school or was it something else? No, yeah, absolutely wine. Well, actually at uh, 21, I was able to do a study abroad through UC Davis and we stayed a summer in Dijon. So I had a summer in Burgundy, which, you know, is a dream for anyone that loves wine, especially here in Santa Cruz Mountain where we make predominantly Pinot Noir. Some people believe that's, you know, the birth of Pinot Noir is is Burgundy, France there. So I spent the summer out there pretty much just drinking wine and eating incredible food. You know, as a a 21-year-old person learning to love wine, it was, you know, a dream scenario to be in. Oh, yeah. I wish I'd had that opportunity. Man, <laughs> yeah. I, that would have been, you know, just hang out in Burgundy for a summer and not do much. Yeah, no, it was really impressive. And, and at that time, the, the professors were really interested in, you know, in, improving the sensory and, and um, evaluation of the class there. And so we really did get to taste a ton of wine from all over the region. But from there, you know, I was enrolled at UCLA, but because it's a UC system, I was able to go to, to the Davis Study Abroads. But unfortunately, UCLA doesn't have a viticulture and enology program, but they do have an incredible soil science and environmental studies program. And that is what I partook in, which allowed me to apply for a graduate program at University of Auckland in New Zealand. 
And uh, similarly to my study abroad, I thought I might as well do a, a long-term study abroad in New Zealand and see a whole nother part of the world, and especially a different part of the wine world, because it is drastically different down there than it is over here in the States. So that's how I found myself in New Zealand. Hey, Ryan, um, and what did you find different between making wine and studying about wine in New Zealand versus California? Yeah, well, thankfully, I grew up kind of in the wine industry and got to see the business aspect and kind of how, you know, wineries function here in the United States, just a small little glimpse of it. But in in New Zealand, it's a completely different market, being that it's such a small country, most of their wine is actually exported. I believe around 95% of their wine produced is exported to other countries. So right then and there, it's completely different than the United States. And that, for the most part, kind of shapes their whole wine industry. And from there, you have to find those small boutique wineries that, you know, all their wine is consumed in New Zealand. And they're really getting to do some experimental uh, things in the cellar and in the vineyards. Because, you know, while I was there, I was told that 85% of their vineyards is still planted to Sauvignon Blanc. Wow, which, okay. is, which is just a, a you know a drastic number because they do have a ton of vineyards there, even though it is a relatively small country, uh, and eighty five percent of your entire growing population is in one varietal. It's it's pretty astonishing. And I spoke to producers and growers there and asking if this bubble would ever burst, and they kept saying that they are going to continue planting more and more Sauvignon Blanc. So it is pretty impressive what's going on there. Yeah although it, it doesn't fully cater to my ideas of how I would like the wine industry. It is impressive how, you know, Sauvignon Blanc has reached such a large uh, magnitude of people outside of just New Zealand. I had no idea it was they were that heavily invested in Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, from a, from a grower's perspective, it, it's quite a dream varietal. It's, it's a pretty tough grape, pretty sturdy, mm. and, and they are still getting... Uh, a relatively premium price for the crop there. So, you know, I think the the farmers will continue to do that until the bubble pops. Right, right. But they do have some really impressive vineyards and producers down there. You just kind of have to sift through a lot of the, you know, the export market production that there. So let's bring it back home to Corlitos, where you guys are located and what Alfaro Vineyards is up to. And you guys, you're best known for your Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, and yet you make a bunch of different varietals. Tell us, um, kind of give us the nutshell view of Alfaro. What do you guys, how do you describe yourselves? No, absolutely. We do. We do produce predominantly Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. But for us, my, my father and myself, that wouldn't be as much fun as planting all these other varietals that we do. Uh, we do have Syrah, Merlot, Malbec, and Gruner Veltliner, um, which we were the, the first producers in the area to plant Gruner Veltliner. And when we did, there were only 10 acres uh, in all of California. So from a farming side, my father, Richard, is, is quite the experimenter and he has a couple things under his sleeve coming up in the next couple years that he's really interested in planting as well some new varietals for the area Ooh, can you can you um spill the beans on what those might be yeah absolutely so we are looking at cabernet franc that is going to happen um in the past year we have moved to being a a winery that is a hundred percent estate so we do now only focus on estate fruit which uh 
just happened with the 2020 vintage. We have been discussing it uh, for the past several years, but you know, with 56 acres, we have a lot to handle here. So we kind of have our hands full, even, even with just the state. So going outside, you know, although it is fun and we really enjoyed it, it's a little uh, smarter to, to do just 100% of state. So we are looking at some varietals. Uh, Cab Franc is going to happen this upcoming year and possibly Gamay, which I am also extremely excited for. Oh, I'm excited about both of those for you because I love Cabernet Franc and Gamay, which um, is um, known also as Beaujolais, is such a fabulous food-friendly wine. Absolutely. And, and, you know, how we discussed, we are in this little pocket of Coralitos, and it is really a beautiful place for growing plants, uh, you know, specifically vineyards, um, just because of the climate. And it is but back in the day when my father planted Syrah here, some people were a little shocked because we are definitely on the cooler side and the cooler climate mm-hmm. aspect. But that's kind of where we like to focus our our fruit is in the cool climate aspect and, and really the characteristics that vines get in the cool climate. So, yeah, the Merlot and the Syrah, we don't. You know, and Malbec, for the matter, we don't have trouble getting it ripe. It, it does take a little more uh, technique in the vineyard with leaf pulling and such to get it the correct amount of sunlight. But we are having, you know, pretty easy time getting those ripe. So we thought, why not work with some Cabernet Franc? So cool. What about like ocean influence? How are you guys? Do you get oh, any? Uh... Absolutely. We're, we're only about, you know, our vineyards are between three to four miles from the ocean because we do have another vineyard. That's not on our direct state here. It's called Trout Gulch. It's a little more in Aptos. Uh, so we range about three to four miles from the ocean. So we have a huge uh, oceanic climate influence on our vineyards. And you do see that with the morning fog. But because of you know, the, the ocean wind influence, as well as being uh, inland a tad bit, it kind of blows off by 10, 30, 11 a.m. But you do see it, especially in some specific sites, how mineral driven our wines are. And that's definitely a, a characteristic that's influenced from the ocean. So well, you guys weren't in the way of the fires, though. No, you were nowhere near that. You point. know, the 2020 was a, a really terrible year for everyone. But especially the, the local wine community had uh, some serious trouble with fires as well as, you know, heat waves. We were 30 miles or so from those fires. So thankfully we did not have trouble with that. Um, By the time the smoke did kind of come down the coast here, it was old smoke. And recent studies have been showing it's really the fresh new smoke that produces guaiacol in the, in the fruit, which is, is what we test for smoke taint or what is responsible for that smoky flavor in wine. You know, we did have trouble with the heat waves over Labor Day weekend. We did lose about 40 tons of fruit oh, wow. at our estate, which is pretty significant. That's about 20 to 25 percent of our production on a whole year base. Oh, bummer. That's huge. Some vineyards that we purchased fruit from, we were heavily influenced with smoke. And that's what kind of kick-started along with other things us going 100 percent estate unfortunately some people we work with weren't able to pick their fruit at all that's how mm-hmm. affected they were so uh, as far as a, a year as a whole 2020 was pretty tough on everyone uh, we are extremely happy with the 2020 vintage of what we did get you know we we produced only about half of our normal production which is a pretty significant loss 
But what we were able to work with, we are extremely happy with. And it did kind of make an easier, slow harvest in terms of the labor aspect of it. Although the emotional aspect was still pretty difficult to work with. Yeah. 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 That's summer. It's all about adapting. You know, we, we only can't do all, everything. So we just have to work with what we're given. Sure. And, you know, I, I think our listeners would like to know a little bit about this. You, um, I think you and your entire family, you all live on the estate property as well as your vineyard crew. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I always joke around that everyone in the, the business always talks about how they are a family run winery, but that is even more so true with Alfaro family vineyards here. Yeah, we do li all live on site in various housing. Um, our three full-time workers who are all brothers unrelated to myself, uh, they all live on site as well. And they have worked with us for 18, 17, and seven years, I believe. Oh, that's awesome. We, uh, we don't take interns in just because that would take away full-time work from our full-time workers. So we are uh, pretty much a tight-knit family, which kind of made the whole quarantine situation a little easier. Living all on site, we are, we're in our own little bubble here in Coralitos. Well, I was going to say so many people have commented this year like about how being quarantined as a family, you know, like at first it's like, this is so great. We're doing games. We're having so much time together. And it's like, this is driving me crazy. Yeah, yeah. After, After the ninth <laughs> month of it, it, it kind of gets a little tiring, right? <laughs> for anybody. But no, it, it really did make it easier for us. And, and not the, the idea of us not having interns, although it would be fun to have extra help and, and to teach and learn from them. Um, it really made it a little bit safer for us just because we are in a little bubble and we didn't have people coming in and out that we were in contact with. Yeah. Yeah. How about getting your wine out there? What are some of the creative ways you guys have been trying to keep the sales going? Yeah, it's been a tough, a tough year with that. And, and, and definitely all about adapting, especially because we, we don't know if we're open one week and close the next. So while we were open, we really had a wonderful run of, of Saturday weekend tastings all by appointment. And we were doing special releases and, and special sales to kind of promote not only our vineyard, but also to give back to our wine club members and people tasting just because it has been a tough year. So trying to do some some specials to, to engage uh, interaction with us and the community. You know, I've done a, a ton of the Zoom calls and Zoom tastings, which I personally love just I, I do love doing events, but of course we can't do that right now. So Zoom is the, or online tasting is the next best, best thing. So I've done several of those as well as, you know, the Instagram live tastings. And I've really enjoyed doing that. Uh, we ran some partnerships. We're currently running a partnership with Baker's Bacon out of Marina, California. Mm -hmm. uh, we do believe that bacon is one of the best pairings with Pinot Noir. So heirloom clone Pinot. <laughs> Uh, a wine that we make, we we did a little promotion where we're pairing bacon with that. So that we're we're just trying to do fun things. Um, we we really do love seeing all of our locals' faces at the tasting room, and hopefully that we can have them there again soon. But at, right now, when we can't, we're just trying to uh, kind of figure out fun, creative ways to get our wine out there. Yeah, I mean, because it is such a great experience going to visit Alfaro. You all have that, you know, really nice big outdoor patio, 
really great views of the vineyards. And um, it's always a very fun, festive atmosphere. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate that. We are really lucky with the property we have. It's gorgeous. And our, our tasting room onlooks the vineyards. And, you know, we're trying to not we're trying to keep it a f- family friendly, uh, you know, pet friendly tasting room. We're not really trying to go for the pretentious um, stuck up atmosphere. We really want everyone to be comfortable, especially with, uh, with the, the COVID-19 outbreak. You know, when we were able to be open uh, throughout this pandemic, we really focused on making sure everyone was comfortable because we do know the comfort level differs from person to person. So, yeah, we try to make everyone feel at home and, and try to keep anything that is, you know, a little abrasive or in people's face to a minimum. I love well, the think, low key vibe. That's important yeah, to me. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And when and when things do open up, so folks um, should know that there's a must stop destination just down the road from your winery, and I'm talking about the Coralitas Market. Absolutely, that is <laughs> is one of the most famous landmarks of Coralitos, and it really it is, really is uh, worth all of the hype. You know, I, I enjoy yeah, a and, lot and of and like, meats from there on a weekly basis. And my big question for you is because the market is famous for their sausages. So do you have a favorite flavor? No, I, I always go with the cheesy jalapeno. Uh, That's mine. Ooh, I like that they, one. I like that one. They, they, you know, <laughs> they're famous for the cheesy Bavarian, but I, I do like the little zing from the jalapeno, the little bit of spice they get. But no, you really can't go wrong with anything sausage related from them. That's for sure. Yeah. It's, and it's- is there a particular wine pairing with the sausage? Believe it or not, Gruner Veltliner is really a go-to with the sausage. Um, okay. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I had never even heard of Gruner Veltliner until you mentioned it. No, and, and <laughs> so I've been doing a little a search people... on the side, and I feel like a wine dolt for admitting that. But I want to make our listeners, if anyone else was wondering what the heck is Gruner I was too. No, that is that is really a, a common thing we're seeing. And my father planted that 13 years ago. And you know, like I said, there were only 10 acres in all of California, and we were the the first and only or, organic certified vineyard of Gruner. So that tells you right there that really no one knows too much about the varietal, and it really is a wonder to grow in in the area. It's perfect for it. But it, so would you describe it for absolutely. us? Absolutely. Yeah, someone it, hasn't tasted it's it. It's an Austrian varietal. And you know, how most producers do it, it's stainless steel fermented all neutral oak age. So it's really a zingy, zesty white wine uh, with tons and tons of citrus and lemon zest. But what I really love about this varietal, it takes on this white pepper aspect that uh, I really, really enjoy. So it has the the zest and apple and uh, lemon varietal characteristics, but in the back of the palate, you really get this white pepper that gives it a great texture in the mouth. And so that's why I think it still has the, the, the body to go with a sausage, but is super zesty and zingy with this acid. Mm-hmm. But it did take a couple years to really get our uh, our consumers to really understand it. You know, not a lot of people hear it and, you know, they think of Quartz Demeanor, which it's completely different than Quartz Demeanor. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have yeah. to give that a try. It really is a wonderful yeah. varietal. Yeah. And just call it Gruner. Don't even try to say Yeah, it. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, Ryan, a question I wanted to ask you also is your family got started making bread. And I wanted to know if you could tell us a little bit about that. But then also, are there any connections between bread making and winemaking? Yeah, well, I'm sure everyone in this quarantine became a baker at one point or another. I know my, <laughs> my girlfriend and I were baking in our in our kitchen. But yeah, my, my parents started a, a micro bakery in 1988 down at the, the metro station in Santa Cruz. And it started out more so as a brick and mortar shop where they sold pastries and bread and sandwiches. Um, for two years, they did that. And then I, I believe two years, then the earthquake hit and kind of destroyed all of uh, downtown Santa Cruz. So there wasn't any foot traffic. And they thought, you know, they needed to adapt and they adapted into a wholesale bakery. And at that point, there wasn't really any wholesale gourmet based breads. It was more so the large conglomerates like Wonder Bread and such. So they started doing that for a while out of uh, the bakery in Watsonville. And then they ended up selling that in 1998, the same year my parents planted the vineyard, actually. Yeah, you know, there's definitely um, carryover from the bread making to, to wine, you know, just given you're working with yeast and, and feeding yeast cultures. Uh, I believe, you know, and, and I believe my, my father thinks this as well as kind of how he, why he wanted to transition is it's a uh, winemaking slightly less of a recipe formulated based industry and more of a craftsman arts as well as uh, agriculture. So I think, you know, after making bread for 10 years and following the same recipes throughout most of his career in the bread industry, he wanted to transition to a little uh, something a little more agricultural based and a little more artistic, you could say. Sure. And also they're both rooted in fermentation science. Absolutely. Right? You know, they, they specialize in sourdough. And they had, you know, thousand pound or a thousand gallon vats of sourdough starter that they would feed multiple times a day. So very fermentation based, but it's, you know, baking at, at 3 a.m. They're long hours. And I think <laughs> they were both very happy that they were able to exit out of the, the bread industry when they were. Nice. Sure. But I, 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 you know, I'm sure during harvest, you know, the hours might even be more intense than being a baker. Yeah. But, you know, when you really do have the love of it, it it's something else. And I think I yeah. think it's more of a process because it's over the seasons and, you know, over anywhere between eight to, to 14 months that you're aging wine. So slightly more of a process and less of a, a rapid recipe that you're following every single day. Yeah, right. yeah, right. But you know, I, he really enjoyed it and was successful, and it, it allowed them to start the beautiful property that they have now. Yeah. Um. Did does your dad or mom still bake? Bread? My father swore to never bake bread again when he sold the bakery. <laughs> he he taught my fifth grade class how to bake bread, and that is the final time he ever baked bread. They both make wow. pastries, though. My mother made a, a wonderful coconut cake last night, actually, that she dropped off at my house that, so that I had a little half, a half of that. But, you know, they're both involved, and they actually met in uh, the restaurant industry down in Santa Barbara. My, uh, so they, they met running restaurants. So they've their whole life, they've been involved in food and, and wine in some unrelated form. So I think that'll never leave them. But, yeah, as far as baking bread... I think my parents are done with that. 
That's funny. Well, you're, I know that Richard is quite a foodie. Um, so I follow him on oh, social yeah. media and he's always posting these images, especially when it comes to tacos and things. I'm like, Oh man, I can't get that. Yeah. It's pretty <laughs> impressive. He really loves, loves food and he is an incredible cook. So I, I get to reap the benefits of that. Oh, so yeah. cool. Your family sounds like so much fun. Tell me what it's like working with, uh, is your mom also involved in the winery? What's it like working with your parents? Yeah, no, uh, my mom is definitely involved in the winery. She's been running the tasting room and wine club since inception. She has gradually beginning to, to phase out slightly and, and, you know, travel a little more, which is great because my parents work extremely hard. So I'm trying to take not only the the cellar winemaking load off my dad's back, but trying to run a little more of the back house and tasting room while my mother's gone. But working with my parents is wonderful. I don't think any you know 27 year old man spends more time with their parents than I do. But, <laughs> but I am really lucky uh, to do so, and, and I'm learning a ton both from them in the industry as well as stuff outside of the industry. Just you know, they've run multiple businesses. So I'm learning about that. And I'm also learning about the winemaking side as well. And, you know, my parents, it's pretty impressive. They spend every single day sitting next to each other. And I, I'm not sure a lot of couples do that. So it is impressive. They, they really are uh, quite the, the dynamic duo. So nice. All right. So, and when you're not working at the winery and, um, in all things uh, grape oriented, what what do you like to do? What do you do? For I you know recently, and I think this was quarantine kind of influence, but I've really t gotten into cycling and biking, and I am in a wonderful area for that. Not only Coralitos, but the Santa Cruz Mountains as a whole. So I ride my bike a ton. That's kind of how I escape everything. I you know I spend most of my days at the winery and, and in the vineyard, trugging around just because I. I live on property, but yeah, so I, I get to mentally, mentally escape on my bicycle. So I spend a lot of time biking nowadays. Um, so you have several labels in yes, your lineup. Yes, you do. <laughs> can, you, can you walk? Absolutely. And that, that's something we have been trying to work on over the years. Um, I think that's kind of how my father is. He's just a, a maniac and all over the place and you know, really has some incredible ideas. So at one point, about four years ago, we had 30 different SKUs. And I think my mom would be the first to tell you that that's absolutely ludicrous. You know, she is running the tasting room and wine club and having 30 SKUs, it really makes it difficult for our salespeople and, and consumers just having so many SKUs. So we have tried to cut back a little bit. Um, we're sitting, I think, around about 20 or 22 SKUs now. So we've cut back a, a decent amount. But uh, mainly our, our family label with, I wish I was able to show the, the listeners, but it has a portrait of my whole family standing in the vineyard and with a, an old vintage truck that we have. Uh, that is all of our single vineyard estate wines. And uh, we, we okay. focus on Coralitos um, varietals of, of which grow, what, of what, excuse me, of which we grow. Um, and then we also have our A estate label, which is a blend of varietals um, and vineyards, but all of which are estates. So we do a hundred percent Pinot, which is our blue A label. And, and uh, we do Chardonnay, Syrah, Merlot. And that is our entry level wine. For those, we try to over deliver the wine for the value. And I, I personally think uh, for Santa Cruz Mountain Wines, those are some of the best valued wines you can get nice and uh recently we've created a, a label 
uh, under the Alfaro name still, but it is heirloom clones and it is all a blend of 100% Pinot, but what differentiates this is that it's all old heritage clones. So Californian clones like oh. Calera, uh, Mount Eden, Swan. So it's more of a clone specific wine or label. Oh, that's cool. So how available are these um, different bottlings? Uh, every wine we produce is on in our online store. Uh, we sell predominantly direct, 60% out of our tasting room uh, and wine club. And, and I would say about 80% of our wine is sold within about a 30-mile radius. So we are predominantly focused on the local community, but we do try to expand to to uh, small wine shops as well as, um, you know, restaurants in, in the various states amongst us. Uh, most of our wines sell out fairly quickly, but everything is available through uh, local shops as well as our online store. Great. And your price points are, are very approachable. Uh, you know, you've got your $30 Chardonnay, uh, a $45 Pinot Noir, some others that are more expensive, but you, you give people places to, to join you. A six-pack of Rosé, a Pinot Noir, $120. So there's, you know, I think there's some real value in what you guys are doing and the, for, the, for the quality that you're producing. No, I, I appreciate that. And that's really kind of our focus. You know, I think everyone in the wine industry would love to tell you that they would enjoy making $60 Pinot Noirs and $80 Pinot Noirs. But realistically, that's just not how the industry works. And I, I personally think from a consumer standpoint that it's a little ridiculous. Now, I will say I have bought wines like that, and I really do enjoy that. And, but but if you're really trying to, to build a brand and sell sell wine, I think it is appropriate to, to price wines that are fair, fair price. And I think um, we're doing a really good job about that. You know, we do have to make money and, and pay five full-time employees so it is a business at the end of the day but i think our wines are definitely over delivered for the price especially you know those a estate labels that i said you know those are those are 25 dollar santa cruz mountain pinot noir and chardonnay that's pretty impressive to get uh, a bottle of wine that good and from this area for that price and you know our, some of our single vineyards yeah they, they get up to 45 dollars but once again, Santa Cruz Mountain fruit, it's, it's pretty impressive and it's extremely hard to farm here. So we are trying to over-deliver on these wines and we hope our customers do appreciate the price points that we are delivering. Well, especially compared to some of the regions north of you, you know, you don't often see prices like that, even at their Absolutely. Impact, you know? And, you know, those, some of those regions up there, they, they make really, really impressive wine. But yeah, you know, just some of those areas, no matter what any wine that's produced will it will hit that upper tier that we are we are offering just given the name that they have, but maybe not delivering on the wine. So uh, we're trying to over deliver, like I, I keep saying, and I really that is, you know, the backbone of our of our philosophy is really trying to give our customer the best wine possible at a price, which, you know, we appreciate, but they can also appreciate as well. Well, I love that because it um, makes people who haven't tried your wines, um, maybe, you know, they don't feel it's as big a risk to try, especially one of the A-label wines. And then if they like that from there, they would be more willing to explore your the rest of your lineup. And also it um, helps make it more of an everyday 
wine versus oh only on a special occasion absolutely i agree and and those a wines that i'm discussing they do bring people to our winery and i think once people do sit down and taste and get to see our property it really gives them the full idea of what we're about and what we're delivering and producing in those single vineyard sites because they are drastically different Although, um, you know, they are close in geographical region, but they are just completely different and they are made the exact same. So it really does give them an idea about wine. And that's kind of how I really first started getting interested in wine when I was tasting same varietals from same regions. But they're completely different just because of, of location within that specific AVA. Right. Absolutely. Well, here's hoping that 2021 brings people back to the winery well, we and so. lets us all know. You know, dine and drink wine and enjoy each other's company again. But uh, Ryan Alfaro, it has been such a pleasure chatting with you today and getting to know you better. The uh, The winery is Alfaro Family Vineyards and Winery, and it's in Coralitos, as we mentioned, which is south of Santa Cruz. And uh, just uh, you guys really do put the family in that family. Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> family trying. We're having label. fun. <laughs> okay. um, I, I can't let you go without telling you a really quick story about Richard, um, your dad. So um, several years ago, probably at least 10, 10 years ago, maybe, um, I was at a winemaker's dinner in um, Half Moon Bay, which is just north of Santa Cruz on the Northern California coast. And um, it must have been one of these multi-winemaker dinners where it was probably, you know, some of the his fellow wine wineries from Santa Cruz Mountains. Anyway, um, Richard wasn't even at my table, but um, during the course of the evening, um, we were, you know, they brought out the different wine flights on big trays. And I had a light blue mohair coat. It was a cold evening, so I had that on the back of my chair. And um, as they were serving the red wine, of course, um, the server who had the full tray of red wine glasses stumbled and dumped my coat. That's terrible. (laughs) So the coat was covered in red. Mm. So I got dried off and everything and all that. And then um, Richard comes over with a bottle of Lindsay Page Chardonnay and gives it to me. It's like, well, I hope hope it did. Terrible, terrible thing to happen. It was was terrible. But you know what? Um, Mary and I, Mary Babbitt and I learned um, a really cool thing that – you probably know of, but um, I'll share with our listeners about how to get red wine stains out of anything. And it's a 50-50 mix of hydrogen peroxide and Dawn dishwashing detergent. And it has to be Dawn. There's something about the grease removing yeah. process. You know, Dawn is magic. Chemical. Yeah. So when I got home, I um, filled up my bathtub with you know half water, half hydrogen peroxide, and I just let it soak for a couple of days. And believe it or not, it took every... That every drop. Oh, of that's good, and I hope you enjoyed the wine that Richard. Did. <laughs> I did. I did. I did. It's it's one. The Lindsay A. Chardonnay is one of my favorites. No, yeah, Rich, Richard, my father is really a, a a great man, and I think the community will uh, back my my statement up on that. He really, uh, he really is involved in yes. the community, and he. I can't emphasize this enough. Just, not just because I'm his son, but his farming is really incredible. Uh, his knowledge out here in Santa Cruz Mountain, it's, mm-hmm. it's really a spectacular 
thing he's doing and and I am really happy I get to work with the fruit that he farms. It's it's pretty special what he's doing. Yeah. It is. He he knows every millimeter of that vineyard and you know how to tend this area versus that area and just everything. It, it really Yeah, he's is, a maniac and I mean that in the utmost respect. It it, it, it really <laughs> it really really is impressive and uh one day I hope to learn as much as these vineyards as, as he knows. So well, like, like I said, we wish you continued success and we thank you so much for spending some time with us. Um, if you want to uh, to taste some of their wines, we recommend because of the pandemic, go to the website, Alfaro Wines. Is it Alfaro Family? Yes, Alfaro Family Wine. Or no, it's AlfaroWine.com. AlfaroWine.com. And you can, and like they've got these great six pack pricings. And um, so order some wine from Alfaro and get to know this fun family through their delicious wine. And then when things get better, go visit them. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Ryan. It's just been really fun. And um, we will have to come visit you once um, the pandemic is over as well. All right, Ryan. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. So Mary B, wasn't Ryan just a lot of fun? I mean, what a cool laid back guy. And he is definitely a winemaker to watch in the Santa Cruz Mountains and in California. Oh, yeah. Talk about a nice guy. And I love the whole family vibe that they've got going there at Alfaro Family Vineyards. And uh, just a super nice, nice guy. I can't wait to be able to go to Coralitos and visit them there. I also appreciated how he didn't make me feel like an idiot for not knowing what Gruner was. (laughs) (laughs) I think think some of our listeners probably didn't know what it was either. So, you know, he... um, enlightened all of us. Yes, you learn a little something here on Sip Sip Hooray. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. And if you liked it, we hope you share it with your friends and tell them about us. We are Sip Sip Hooray podcast. And you can find us on social media with that. And also our website, sipsiphoorayspodcast.com. Great. And if you do end up sharing this with um, everybody, in social media, please tag us at Sip Sip Hooray Podcast. All right. We are the two Marys who like to eat, drink, and be merry. And we thank you for joining us on Sip Sip Hooray. Cheers. Cheers.